0: sympathize with Sister Mason tonight because I know the kids know that their last day of school is tomorrow. Bless her, Jesus. And they are probably excited because they've not done anything this week. And so we'll be out here holding the hands of grieving parents. (laughs) No. Amen. I know they're excited about that their summer, per se, starting. Amen. Tonight is our last lesson uh, with Joseph uh, for now. You know, there, there's really no way people talk about giving exhaustive studies, and there's some things that I've touched upon before that I thought maybe I've been just as exhaustive as I could. But the reality of the fact is this, we could go back and revisit some of those things that you even thought I was exhaustive on, and go back and we could plug some things out that I didn't even touch god's word is like that and so this will conclude tonight our our series on joseph and uh, next week sister mcgee will be starting the series on sexual purity uh here in the month of june amen you do not want to miss that Uh, i remember i remember uh, whenever she was uh going through a particular class along those lines And uh, she would oftentimes, sometimes I should say, discuss some of the things going on in that class with that. And so there will be things there that could very potentially blow your mind and maybe even alter uh, some things of your own thinking uh, whenever you uh, come in that series next month. So you want to be here for that. And I'm proud to announce, as far as I know, I'm not going to miss any services in the month of June except one. Amen. And so it's going to be the month that It's going to be the feast before the famine. Because <laughs> July is not going to look too, <laughs> too good. A lot of traveling in the month of July. Amen. But I'm thankful for once again, Bishop, being able to come to the plate this past Sunday and minister in both services. And I've not yet heard them, but I will. I always do. I will hear those, and so glad that he was able to do that. Uh, Brother Mason told me, welcome home tonight, and I told him, welcome home, because it's the first time we've seen each other since he left. Amen. And so that's just the way the old ball rolls and the cookie crumbles, as they say. I'm going to be turning to Genesis chapter number 50. Genesis chapter number 50. Amen. As you are turning there tonight, I'll, I'll be starting verse number 22 as you're turning there just a few things to remember church camp in the month of July coming up and uh, if that's if that's something that you plan on going to please register please sign our our list on the back men's conference in September sounds like a long way off it's out there on the bulletin board sign if you plan on going amen for those of you that uh, their apostolic camp ministries um, aka Santa Claus camp that's the very that's the very last week of June the 25th to the 29th If that's something that you're part of they they have a Facebook site Apostolic camp Ministries if you want to register all the information stuffs on that if you want to go to that camp Santa Claus Indiana not that far away or go up at night I'm going to try to get together a list maybe for that Tuesday of that week and, and I'll take a van and maybe some that would like to go don't want to drive man I'll load you up and I'll take you Amen. And so, just I'm just trying to fill my week up. That's really what I'm trying to do, doing that. But uh, if you want to go, well, we'll try to do that. And so, uh, go and have a good time in the Lord. Amen. So, just a few things to be reminded of. Amen. One thing, uh, Mike Penrod tonight. My wife was on her way over here to church tonight. And her heart went out to somebody. And she called him to help this person. You just never know what she's going to do. I'm telling you right now. You, might, She might be taking a popsicle stick and bandaging up a bird on the side of the road. It just... It You never know, but thank you, Mike, amen, for doing that because that was just just an extension of the church, really, doing that. So I appreciate you doing that here this evening. Amen. Is everybody at Genesis chapter 50? Yeah, amen. All right, starting with verse number 22. The Bible says, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. joseph saw ephraim's children of the third generation and the children also of machir the son of manasseh were brought up upon joseph's knees and joseph said unto his brethren i die god will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he sware to abraham to isaac and to jacob joseph took an oath of the children of israel saying God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. For a little while tonight, I would like to minister a coffin in Egypt. A coffin in Egypt. Father, we come to you here this evening. God, we're grateful today, Lord, for this day that you have made. And we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. I pray, O Lord Jesus, tonight, God, that as we turn our attention again to your word, I pray, God, that it would be able to speak to our lives. Regardless how many times we have read this story, these pages, these verses in this scripture. I pray, O Lord, let it speak to us. God, with a clear voice, afresh and anew, God into our lives and we will not fail God to thank you Lord Jesus for what it speaks God to us individually in Jesus name that I pray amen and amen God bless you tonight Jesus name you may be seated here this evening a coffin in Egypt we have spent some time the past few weeks in the book of Genesis particularly the last chapters of Genesis Whenever we started, I think I alluded to the fact that Genesis, the book, overall, is about mankind. Found there in Genesis is the creation of man, and also accompanying that is the fall of man, exemplified throughout the four lives of four main characters in Genesis of Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and our character that we have been studying, Joseph. are Four men that are feeling after God, searching in reality. They are searching to really reestablish the relationship that had been lost between God and humanity in the Garden of Eden, that was lost between Adam and God. These four men, these patriarchs, as we would call them, have been on a journey, feeling after and searching after that relationship that, had been lost and yet when everything is said of man in the book of Genesis the final epitaph if you will that we come to in the last words of Genesis that thing that's known as the book of beginnings is he was put in a coffin in Egypt something about that stands out to me whenever I consider the whole book of Genesis and that is this That void of man's relationship with God. Void of that relationship from the very beginning that Adam had with God. It all just boils down simply and comprised of that few little words in that phrase. It comes down to a coffin in Egypt. Genesis begins, Genesis begins. It is the book of beginnings. It, it begins with creation. It begins with life, but it ends here in chapter 50 with a coffin. Its opening words is in the beginning, God. Powerful. We are captivated by that. There's nothing in the beginning that starts to try to prove God, but just in the beginning, God. And then it's contrasted with the closing words, a coffin in Egypt. It's like, man, we, like, in the beginning, God, and then a coffin in Egypt. It ends with death. It ends with two notable deaths. It ends with the death, of course, of Jacob, and it ends with the death of Joseph. And they're closing out, then, this first book of the Bible with a coffin. I mean, if if you think of Genesis just as a story within itself, it's almost anticlimactic. You know what I'm saying? It's like you start out with the formation of lesser lights and, you know, greater lights and all of this and the gathering together of waters to to give manifestation to dry land appearing and all of that, just only later to come to a place of the end of the book, a coffin in Egypt. (laughs) You know. Meaning, you know, whenever you think about it, that very land that he caused to appear in the first chapter, And that mist would come up from the ground and fall upon it. That would be the very stuff, the very materials that God would make man out of. Breathe into him and man would become a living soul. then for the last chapter to find mankind resting in a man-made coffin in Egypt. Everybody doing okay? And yet in the real world, in the real life that we live today, every time we find ourselves clasping our hands at the edge of a casket for the last time at a graveside service. And we're standing there and our feet are upon freshly turned over soil where there is a, a void and a vacancy in the ground where they're going to receive a loved one or a friend. We stand there sometimes, and you you you'd be honest with yourself, i 'll be honest with myself, that sometimes I've stood there and had a little sense of unfairness that came over me, a little sense that maybe the scales have not really been tipped in favor for humanity at large and times we might stand there and we might think you know they were they were taken too quickly or they had so much more that they could have offered the world or you know they're really this person's really ne- needed by their families you know right here or at times even pondered you know how how could this be the finality of of such a productive person such a meaningful person of everything that they have accomplished and done and 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 to think then brother Alex Mason that it really Really, does it just really all boil down to a beautifully handcrafted box with just maybe a few little personal sentiments that's been placed inside by family members and friends? Is this what it all comes down to? Even sometimes saying there are bishops saying, you know, not every goal they had was achieved. Not every promise that's come their way. Not every promise has been fulfilled in their life almost standing up in my spirit sometimes with a little bit of defiance and saying, hey, wait a minute here. There's something that's just really don't add up right now. Sometimes people, even the crowd I've seen and I've done those funerals. I've stood in that place and I see puzzled looks all on their faces because what they're trying to do is reconcile the account of that person's life with this, what is often shoved on all of us, and that is this aspect of life called death. The Arab proverb says it, well, it says death is a black camel that lies at every door. And sooner or later, you must ride the camel. Teacher, minister, and author, and philosopher Robert Fulgrim says this. He says, we are all born into a graveyard, meaning that the moment that you start living, you start dying. And sincerely, folks, the Bible tells us this, and we know it to be true, that the very same ground that the first man was made from is that which he would return into. God said, For dust thou art, and from dust thou shalt return. See, in today's society, death is quite different than what death was years ago. Death in our times means a crisis. Mm -hmm. Death in our times means a crisis. Many people today, rather than going through with the last rites, they're dealing with the last, last crisis. Uh-huh. You know, because now they got to take time off bereavement in order to get this thing, you know, tucked away and put in the ground. The arrangement's got to get made. we got to hurry up and get through this years ago and I remember reading this you know years ago and I might have been in some of the books my wife had on grieving you know years ago people were able to process grief a whole lot easier because they were the ones that were preparing the body for burial it didn't go to some mortician the family did it and so as they did it as they're preparing the body they're able to relive memories and they're able to do the detachment if you will and have closure for their life but but now it's an inconvenience for somebody to die It's inconvenience for somebody to die. And I, I feel like maybe in some sense we have adopted, you know, some of the ideologies of the present world. A world, mind you, that for the most part is estranged from God and without God. And so we live in a society where it starts with life and it just ends with death. That's all there is to it. But as I ponder all of these things, there's something that I must remember that the Apostle Paul spoke in his resurrection speech. Of 1 Corinthians 15 and 19. He said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul, what are you saying? He's saying, If in this life only that you're living right now, you have hope in Christ, you know what he's saying? He's saying what the last few phrases or the last few words of Genesis was saying. If that's all there is to it, you're left with nothing more but a coffin in Egypt. If if that's the totality of it, if that's the apex of it, if that's the climax of it, then you just have a coffin in Egypt. And by and large, we are of all men most miserable. But the apostle Paul did not stop there. He said, if that's you. But he said in verse 20, he said, but now... Is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. By the first Adam came death, but by the second Adam came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. See, there was something peculiar even in the book of Genesis, about every patriarch that was exampled in the book of Genesis, each one of them saw something beyond the grave. Their eyes, as the Bible describes them physically, may have been growing very dim, but their faith was placed in something beyond, and placed in something beyond. That, that, that was more than what was taking place in the moment. Paul, which many believe to be the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 11, attests to the fact that these patriarchs, even in Genesis, looked beyond, if you will, the coffin, beyond the casket, beyond the grave. The Bible says that by faith, Abraham looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It says that Abraham died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. They desire a better country. That is, the Bible says, a heavenly wherefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he hath prepared for them a city so abraham by faith is looking for something more beyond what he had in his world what he had in his earth and the bible says his son would do something similarly that by faith isaac blessed his sons jacob and esau why he blessed them concerning things to come he is dying. His eyes are dim. But he puts forth his hand on his boys. And he blesses them. Because he says there's something else. Still to come. There's something beyond the grave. There's something beyond the coffin. Then so much so that his son Jacob. The Bible says when he was Dying, And we looked at this last week, I believe. When he was dying, he blessed both the sons of Joseph. What are you doing? He's blessing something that's going to outlive him and outlive his son Joseph. Because he understands what? He understood what Abraham understood, what Isaac understood. That there's something that's going to materialize beyond their lives. Beyond where they are right now. Beyond the X number of years that they lived up on the earth. He understood there was something... Beyond that, someone say amen. And so Joseph is no different from them. He is closing out the book of Genesis, amen, with the understanding that there is something beyond the life that he even had lived upon this earth. So much so, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 22, by faith, Joseph when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. Now they're in Egypt, but he's making mention of their departing and gave commandment concerning his bones. You know what Joseph was saying in those departing words, those last breaths that he was using upon his, his family, he was letting them know one thing, a coffin in Egypt is not final for me. A coffin in Egypt is not the end point. It's not, it's not the stopping place for me. Because before Moses penned the words, Moses, the writer of Genesis, before Moses penned the words, he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Moses wrote these words, verses 24 and 25 that I read in your hearing. And Joseph said to his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. Unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Amen. Someone say amen. So before Moses pins talking about his coffin, he says that Joseph already knew he was going to die, but he said that God will surely visit. Joseph was 110 years old. That's a good life. (laughs) Joseph was 110 years old when he died in Egypt. He had lived in Egypt from the moment he was around 17 years old to now 110 years old. 13 years as a slave slash prisoner and then the other 80 years as a ruler in Egypt. Whenever Joseph died, Joseph bore an Egyptian name. When he died... He bore an Egyptian title. Joseph was married to an Egyptian woman. He shared in the court life of Egypt, the politics of Egypt, the trade of Egypt. He was even put, as the Bible says, in a coffin in Egypt. Yet he did not die an Egyptian. He died an Israelite. Someone say amen. And so the parting words of Joseph are this. I die and God will surely visit you, and bring you out of this land. In those few little words, there was something that Joseph spoke. There's a principle that Joseph spoke that had been generational in his family. And that was this, basically, that when a man of God dies, none of God dies. Joseph saying, I'm taking my final breath right here. They're going to put me in a box not too many days hence. I die, but God's going to visit you. This, this looks like finality for me, and you have no more me in a physical sense with you, but God is going to visit you. You, you don't have to worry about me dying because there is a God that is still living. Though I rest in a box, God's not contained to a box. Amen. And that has been the story of Joseph's family. That has been the story of his heritage all the way back to Aaron. Aaron dying didn't mean God was any less. Moses passing on didn't mean God was any less. Joshua dying, don't worry about it. God is still alive. Samuel, Saul, David, all the great men of old, every last one of them have a tomb and have a grave but it was no finality for god when any of the men of god died or gave up the ghost even the death of jesus christ on the cross could not finish god off jesus exclaimed it is finished not i am finished because although men die god goes on oh jesus someone say amen And so we have it from Abraham to Joseph. There is this common thread that is weaved throughout their lives. And that is this then. That God is not finished. Huh? It's not finished. Though our lives are punctuated with the death of loved ones and Christians and saints of God. God is not finished. And God, in spite of death, keeps his promises. And God will bring to pass into our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He will bring to pass in our lives or the lives of our families or the lives of generations to come. As he said he will do. God ultimately is not one that likes to disappoint. So Joseph tells the nation of Israel, God will surely visit you. Right? How many times have you heard that in your life? Like God will. You know, God's on the, we, the terminology is always on the verge. God's on the verge. It shall take place. And so we get on our porches. Bat our eyes With anticipation, we're just staring, waiting. Because God has said that he would. Right? So we're, we're almost like the the, the, the father of the prodigal that's just looking down the road just by chance. If today might be the day that it will happen. Joseph says, God will surely visit you, but notice what he says. Joseph understands the handiwork of God. He says, God's going to visit you, but Joseph understood it's going to take patience on your part. Because he says, ye shall carry my bones. From hence. He didn't say you're going to carry my body. He said you're going to carry my bones. In other words, there's going to be enough time elapsed that the form that I am now at the moment of death is not going to be the form I will be when you're getting out of here. When God pays his visitation. So, so, laced in his statement is the concept. It might take some time. It might not be tomorrow, but nevertheless, it will be. Folks, if there was ever a man that understood what it was like concerning having a trial of faith, right, and the burden of, of being patient in spite of affliction, we know already Joseph knows that, Right? Has two dreams, but it takes 13 years for them to get fulfilled. Right? So if that's the case, Joseph understands this, then why couldn't why couldn't Abraham's promise that God made to him maybe take a few generations before it would become visible? And I'm telling you tonight, why couldn't it be then that there might be some years? in your life before something comes to fruition that God said he would do or he would accomplish. See, whenever Joseph spoke that, he's he's not just, those are more than just words of understanding. I believe them to also be words of prophecy. God will visit you, but you're going to carry my bones when it finally takes place. Even with Egypt, they had perfected methods of embalming, you know, a body. Even with all the perfected methods of embalming the body, he still says, you're going to be carrying my bones. According to God's word, almost 300 years elapsed from the last events of Genesis 50 and the first events of Exodus chapter number 1. 300 years And the opening of Exodus is on this wise. Exodus 1 and verse 6. to recounting something. And Joseph died. We learned that in Genesis. But look, this is how the progress is went. And all his brethren. And all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful. And increased abundantly. And multiplied. And waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Joseph has been in the box in Egypt for 300 years. And just now, Israel is multiplying and becoming great in number as the stars of the sky and as the sand along the shore, which was promised all the way back to who? Abraham. Generations. Him even reemphasizing it at death, still 300 years removed before it's finally coming to pass of their numbers being great. And Abraham had passed that promise on to his son Isaac. And Isaac had passed that promise on to Jacob. And Joseph had heard his father Jacob even speaking that over his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, that we read last week. He said, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. But 300 years removed from that moment, it's going to start taking place. I've read several things over life, my lifetime. Most people agree. And when I say people, I mean scholars. That Joseph being put in a coffin doesn't mean that the coffin was placed in a tomb or that it was placed in the ground. Most from their studying of the languages believed that it was somewhere in the public's eye so that they could see it. Meaning then that each new generation that witnessed the unburied coffin of Joseph what are you going to do when there's a coffin over here in the corner that's not entombed or buried tell you what happens I start asking questions what's the deal with that you know is that empty waiting on somebody but that kind of looks a little aged here what's going on with that and you know what that does then the answer then these people are then met with an answer that well that man said that God would visit his people and that we were to carry his bones from here over there. You know what every generation then had? They had nothing more but the voice of the surety of a visitation that would come from God someday. (laughs) Whoo! You know, another little boy's being brought up among the family of the Israelites. What's that over there, Pat Paul? Oh, that's just a man that said God's going to visit us. That someday we'll not be living in Egypt anymore. That someday we'll be back in the land of Canaan. That our fathers and forefathers years ago, their feet had touched the ground. Some of them had even bought burial lots over there. But but we've not been there yet. But that man says God would. Folks, think about it for a moment. I mean, wouldn't it have been sensible to... To put the coffin in the ground? I mean, why, why not? Well, you can put it in the ground. If you put it in a tomb, you know, God comes through. You're going to have to earn earth that thing and take it back up someday. So, you know, why put it in the ground to begin with? And I know in our real world today, we have reasons why we place caskets in the ground about six feet deep. But let me ask you a question just theoretically. What if we were able just to keep all the coffins that ever got placed in the ground on I know we have monuments, but there are millions, no doubt, that are in the ground today that have no on-the-surface indication that anybody is below. Could you imagine, Sister Trout, if as we walked along this earth today, all around us were coffins with just bones left in them? It's kind of funny. You say, no thanks, but imagine the conversation. Dad, why do we keep all these caskets up here above ground? Son, it's been stated for years that God's going to visit his people. It's been stated for years, son, that God is going to visit his people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that uh, someday that there will be a resurrection. And some will be unto life. And some will be unto eternal damnation. And so no one really saw any sense in burying them when they're going to come back out of the ground anyway somebody hearing me today I wish in some sense we could bring them all back to the surface because we need some constant reminders in this world which we live that we get entangled in and we walk daily in that we think this is the ho enchilada so to speak and when death comes death comes we need some reminders sitting around our feet and within view that says there's a coffin in Egypt but that thing is above ground with one purpose and that's to remind us that God said he's going to visit his people and it doesn't matter if it's past one generation, two generations, three generations, four generations, God is not bent on disappointing. God will keep his promise. Yes. Yes. That's the reason why I stand at that hole in the ground with that body laid in such a place. And we quote from John and we quote from the Gospels how Jesus spoke to Mary. She says, I know, Lord, he will rise in the resurrection. And we say Jesus spoke to her, Mary, I am the resurrection and I am the life. What are we trying to emphasize in the minds of the people that come to that vulnerable space? Plot, plot in the the lot out there on the ceremonial grounds. We're trying to tell them, God is going to visit his people one of these days. God is going to visit his people again one of these days. He came the first time in the stable. He came the first time as a servant. He came the first time as a lowly child. But when he comes back, he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He came the first back with grace in his hand. He'll come the second time with judgment in his hand. God will visit his people. So if there's one thing that the end of Genesis is screaming all the way back from the very beginning is that God will visit his people. And it's not to soon be forgotten from the first coming to the second coming that he is coming. The coffin in Egypt was not the finality. The coffin in Egypt is not the period. It's just a comma, really. God's going to visit. God's going to visit. But until that time, Bishop, until that time, every time I go visit Grandma and Grandpa out in, in, in the cemetery or whoever I may pass by, or just a cemetery in general, every time I go out there, you know what that is? A reminder to me. It's not over. It's not. It might not be above the ground. Thank goodness there's monuments today. It's telling me it is not over. (laughs) I just don't understand this. Let me tell you something. You know, the Bible says, here's the children of Israel. They're multiplying in number. Egypt is afraid of them because of their great number. They feel intimidated by them because they are mighty. Do you know that? Do you know that, that Egypt took this grand multitude of, of Israel on and put them to be slaves and put hard taskmasters over them? They put them over a people that they knew were mightier than them. Do you understand that? They were not dealing with a weak people that if Israel wanted to in that moment, they could have overtaken Egypt. But, but Egypt didn't just make them slaves. It made them to feel like slaves. They were mightier like your Bible Exodus chapter one. They were mightier than Egypt, but they were made to work and feel like a slave. You know what they they were made to feel like? That this is, this is life for you. This is it. Yet the Bible says during that time of hard rigor of, of work that they would endure, you know what I believe, Brother Alex Mason? They can make it through, because on the bad day, all they had to do is go by the coffin that was left in Egypt. Ah. Ah. Have you ever? I, sometimes I have. I have conversations with the dead. I speak to dead people. I do. I've been at the cemetery. Sometimes and I've told Grandma and Grandpa some just bad stuff. Really have. Just spoke to them. I can imagine rough day under the rigor of Egypt. Just dropping by. Oh, oh, Josephs. Coffin, we're still believing you, buddy. God's going to visit us. I'll go back with the taskmaster over my head tomorrow because I got a promise over here. (laughs) Nothing but a sack of bones over there now. But God's going To visit you. Amen. Hallelujah. They're on the verge of leaving Egypt. And there's plague after plague that's coming. And no doubt there's intrepidation. Fear and everything that's coming through their mind. What are they doing? Man, just casting a little eye over there at the coffin left of Egypt. Just for a little bit of reassurance. And the Bible says when D-Day comes. And they're marching out of there as a nation. As a multitude of people. The Bible says in Exodus 13 and verse 19. Look at it. And Moses. Took the bones of Joseph with him. <laughs> For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Can you imagine can you imagine, amen all of the mockery that the coffin got over generations can you imagine all the naysayers that said boys we might as well put this thing in the ground because this ain't ever taking place, this ain't ever happening. Can you imagine the committees and societies that were against the box that was left in Egypt on that day when Moses said hold on we can't go yet, somebody go get Joseph's bones because we've had a visitation of God we... <laughs> honey if that was the case I was going to take those that were in disbelief to be the pallbearers you know <laughs> we're getting out of here Huh? I mean they're getting ready to go out here beyond Egypt I mean this is in many respects unknown to them They've been setting the, the the boundary of Egypt. That's unknown ground for them. They're going beyond that. And through it all, it's a whole coffin that kept them encouraged. That there's something more. There's something beyond. And know, you know with a surety, that that journey from there to Canaan should have been should have been a short journey. But course of disbelief and other things, they have forty years of wandering in the wilderness, 40 years of bewilderment. And when we read of those 40 years, they oftentimes suffered hunger. They oftentimes suffered thirst, but all along some guys over there in marching formation. (laughs) <laughs> they have a coffin that was in Egypt but now in the wilderness and while they're there thirsty and hungry and wondering if they're going to die before they get there all they got to do is look over at that coffin and get a little reassurance and encouragement that God's going to bring the pass what he said he'd bring to pass. Here's the pass here's the great thing Bishop those remains had to be passed from one generation to the next generation hmm With clarity about the purpose. With clarity about the purpose. The children of Joseph had to hand it on down to their descendants. Till finally it lands in Moses' hands on their way out. And finally Moses dies before they ever enter the promised land. And he has to pass it on to Joshua. From generation to generation. Somebody had to understand that God was going to visit them. And this is what's to be done with the bones of Joseph. The Bible states these words. I'm, I'm not going to be up here much longer. I was on a short time today. I just had after lunch to put this together. We had problems back here in the back today. That's another story. Sarah Johnson caused it all. No, she actually told me about it. She told me about it all. Uh, i just giving you a little static. She informed me about it all. Thank God for people that cleaned the church. They informed me about all kinds of things. (laughs) We love you. Joshua 24 and verse 32. Look at it now. Where's Joshua at at this point in time? Not in Egypt. Not in the wilderness. He's in Canaan. He's in the promised land. And... He says, the Bible states, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, which is in Canaan, and a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. It was over 400 years before Joseph's bones were buried. From the time he said, that's where I want them to go, till they ended up where he wanted them to be. 400 years. So let me ask you a question tonight. What promises are you still waiting on to be fulfilled? The end, Sister Sheila of Joseph's story, left his family, and us for that matter, with an enduring promise. God will surely visit you. And that was coming from the lips of someone that knew the truth of those words. That was coming from someone with some corn in the crib from his own life that he wanted generations after him to adopt as their own. I'm telling you here this evening, everybody that's sitting here, Your hope in Christ surpasses the life that you're living right now. It extends into the life that's beyond every coffin, might I say, that lays in Egypt. If you'll stand with me here this evening. God will surely visit I don't have the time but if I had the time I'd start talking about that portion of land where Joseph was buried that his father bought all the way back whenever he was a teenager I would talk about how it wasn't just a land that he bought but it was a land that he fought for but the series ends tonight (laughs) series ends tonight God will surely visit you. Can we bow our heads in this place tonight? Can we bow our heads in this place?